1: It's so good to be spending this time with you today. My name's Lisa Harrington. I am one of the pastors at Blue Oaks Church, and we're currently in a series. We're looking at beliefs that are catalytic to spiritual growth, and today I have the privilege of teaching about this truth, that God's a personal God and he wants to have a relationship with us. Uh, There was a popular television show when I was a teenager called Eight is Enough. Uh, You might be old enough to remember it. And if you're like me, you don't want to be reminded about how old you are, so I won't tell you when it aired, uh, but it was sometime between 1976 and 1978. Uh, That probably gave it away, huh? But the show included an actor by the name of Willie Ames, and eight is enough, it it made him into a teenage heartthrob. He was cute, he was wealthy, famous, he seemed to have it all. Uh, But during the height of his success, he started to develop problems with alcoholism that would end up plaguing him for many years and take a devastating toll, as you can imagine, on his uh, personal and professional financial life. He went from being a millionaire to being homeless, uh, from a teen idol to uh, having a career in ruins. To the tens of thousands of teenage girls clamoring for his attention, Willie was seen, but not known. But to God, he was seen and he was known. I heard part of his story at a Christian music festival, and he was there to speak and do a kid's show. He was the lead role in a live action production called Bible Man. It was the Christian version of superheroes, really an opportunity for grown men to run around in capes and spandex. Uh, he played the part of a successful man who was, he was frustrated with his life, and once he was introduced to God, He realized there was more to life and he worked to share God's uh, truth with people and of course to fight evil and wear spandex. So it was actually pretty good. It was very entertaining, uh, at least the live version. I I don't know about the the straight to video episode, so no promises there. I I went to listen to him share his story before the show and it brought me to tears. You know, he talked about his life and how it had unraveled more quickly than his rise to fame. He had no job, no bank account, and ultimately no marriage. His wife was given custody of their daughter. You know, he lost everything that mattered to him. It was hard for him to find the, the will and the strength to live. He slept in parking garages, underneath bushes, and occasionally on couches, on the couches of friends. You know, it was just one thing after another. He tried to find work, but, but no one would hire him. And he wondered if, if this was really gonna be how his life was gonna turn out. You know, and then one day after spending hours looking for a way to earn some money, he got a message from his wife. Uh, there was something going on with his daughter. Uh, she told him to meet her at the hospital. So you know, here he is, his life's fallen apart. He's exhausted, he's hungry, he's broke. You know, literally all he had left to his name was $10. So here's the question. What do you do when your life's been turned upside down? You're hungry and all you have is $10. And what do you do? Where do you go? All right, some of you said you pray or you go to God, didn't you? Well, that's the right church answer, but no, if you're hungry and all you've got's $10, you go to Taco Bell. And that's what he did. He went to Taco Bell. He was, he was distraught and beaten down. As he gets up to the window to pay for the order, the employee tells him that the car in front of him paid for his food. He said he lost it, that he bawled like a baby. I actually wonder what the employee was thinking. Hey, come on now, pull yourself together, dude. It was only $9.95. You know, it might seem like, a, like no big deal, but to someone who'd fallen so far and become so broken, this was just the encouragement that he needed from God. It was like God was speaking to him, you know, letting him know that he was there, empathizing with him in his struggle. It was as if God was talking directly to him through through something as simple as a random act of kindness from a stranger. God was letting him know that he was there to meet his needs. He wasn't abandoned. God was with him. God saw him. You know, while it's awe-inspiring when God intervenes in big, grandiose, miraculous ways, you know, when God sees us and He reveals Himself in times of despair and then literally blindsides us with God-sized outcomes that are completely unexpected, you know, those things are incredible for sure. But one could argue that when God shows up in the seemingly insignificant details of our lives, you know, like at a Taco Bell drive-thru, it doesn't just speak. It practically shouts of a more intimate relationship with our Creator than we ever expected or imagined possible. Many of us get our image of God from our earthly father. You know, that, that makes sense. My own father died in an accident when I was three and my mom never remarried. To me, it felt like my father left and that God had abandoned me. Now, how do you see God? You probably have some picture or thought that comes to mind when I ask that question, yeah? How you see God has been impacted by so many things over the course of your entire life. Is he unapproachable or judgmental? Is there some rule book you're supposed to follow or a certain level you're supposed to attain to but it's impossible to reach? You know, God's not any of that. He's not unapproachable or unreachable. You know, in fact, he's involved in our daily lives. He's close, he's near, especially in times of need. He has a plan and a purpose for our lives. In Genesis 16, there's a story of a woman by the name of Hagar. God promised Abraham that he'd have a child, but it wasn't happening, and time seemed like it was running out. He and Sarah were old, so Sarah decided that she would try to solve the problem on her own, you know, which, which usually isn't a very good thing. She told Abraham, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, go to my servant, and perhaps through her I can build a family. So when Hagar became pregnant, she began to treat Sarah with disrespect, and Sarah didn't like that. She complained to Abraham, and Abraham said, do whatever you want with her. So Sarah began to mistreat Hagar until Hagar ran away. She fled. Hagar was in the wilderness when an angel of the Lord found her near a spring of water and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord told Hagar that she needed to return to Abraham and Sarah and do whatever Sarah said to do. The angel gave Hagar a promise. I will increase your descendants so much that they'll be too numerous to count. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, you're now pregnant, which Hagar already knew. But God was communicating that he knew too. It was a detail about her that she didn't tell him. And you shall give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. The name Ishmael means God will hear. And then Hagar gave this name to the Lord. You're the God who sees me. I've now seen the one who sees me. Hagar was from Egypt and would have been disadvantaged among the Hebrew women because she was a foreigner and a slave. But in God's interaction with her, he clearly showed Hagar that he cared about her. I mean, Abraham's God went looking for her after she fled. That's significant. You know, God sees and loves all people. His care is not limited to any one specific group of people. For God so loved the world, not just the people that believed in him. To say that she felt scared and lonely and unloved, you know, that's an understatement. I'm sure she wondered if anyone cared about her or the baby she was carrying. Uh, now you might not be able to relate to the story or the specific circumstances of the story, but I, I imagine you can relate to the emotions, you know, fear, abandonment, loneliness, and betrayal. Everyone knows what it feels like to be unloved or to feel unwanted. And like Hagar, maybe you've wondered at times, you know, does anybody care about me? Maybe you've even wondered at times, you know, if God cares about me, I mean, if he really cares about me, if he really sees me and what's going on in my life, where is he? Where is he? With almost 8 billion people on the planet, is it possible that God can really see me or you in any sort of personal way? The writer of scripture said this in Psalm 139, "'For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, Does God love you? He knit you together in your mother's womb. He prepared good works for you to do in advance of your arrival on the planet. You know, Does he love you? It's not a trick question. Yes, he loves you. The writers of scripture say he knows the number of hairs on our head. I bet he knows the exact number of gray hairs on my head too. Uh, A lot, and I'm sure it takes a little while to count. Uh, it's, It's really unbelievable how well and how intimately that God knows you and me. When God found her at the spring, he called her by name. Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? You know, God cared about her. And it's the same for you and me. The creator of the universe knows us by name. I mean, think about that for a minute. He knows your name and he knows your circumstances and he knows where to find you. The apostle John writes, uh, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. If you've received salvation, you know, if you've become a follower of Jesus, if you've been adopted into his family, He calls you by name, and he calls you his own. He sees you, and he knows you. Hagar gave God the name Elroy, the God who sees. Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from, and where are you going? God already knew, but he asked her to share her story anyway. Hagar, where have you come from? I'm running away. Where are you going? I don't know. God sure seemed to know. He saw her, and he listened to her. Then he told her to turn around. He cared about the details of her life. Hagar, he knew her name, it was personal. There's so much value in just knowing someone's name.
0: It's a remarkable thing that the God of the universe knows you and me by name. Uh, The story of Hagar is really the picture of God's love for us. The idea that God knows your name is really what we refer to as having a personal relationship with God. Jesus said, he not only knows your name, he calls you friend. He knows your name, he knows my name, and he calls us his friends. That's powerful. I mean, that's transformational if we allow the truth of it to affect how we interact with God. Think about that today as you go about your day. The writers of scripture say, God knows you. He knows your name. And the implication is God knows your needs. Uh, He knows about our deep need for lasting uh, security. I mean, he knows that about us. He knows that earthly relationships are vulnerable and only meet our belonging needs in a partial way. I mean, he, he knows these kinds of things about us. In the book of Revelation, John writes that God has the names of his children written on his heart. The prophet Isaiah said that God has your name written on the palm of his hand. Uh, This is a catalytic truth in your spiritual growth. God knows you by name. You can have a personal relationship with God. You know, another catalytic truth is you need people in your life who know you by name. If you're gonna grow, you need people who know you. That's the reason we are so passionate about small groups at Blue Oaks. Uh, Groups are where our big church becomes smaller and we become known by name as we pursue authentic community with others and we pursue spiritual growth with God. You know, one of the great illusions of the church in our day is the illusion that information alone can produce spiritual maturity. And so if we want to create spiritually mature people, just pump them full of more information. The reality is we grow best in community. At the beginning of, His ministry, Jesus' first step was to build community with people. And throughout his whole ministry, he modeled and taught on what life is like in this type of community. Jesus knew there were certain dynamics of spiritual growth that only happen when people are connecting in community, forming circles of intimacy and circles of commitment and mission together. You know, it is so important for you to build these kinds of connections because this is really the heart of God. So I hope you choose to be in a small group where you are known by name. Uh, You know, in psychological research, they found that the one thing people look for and value above all else when they go to someone for counseling or for therapy is not wisdom or counsel or guidance or a lot of that other stuff. It's to be in the presence of another human being who will actually look at them and listen to them and pay attention to them and treat their lives and hearts as though they matter to love them. That's what you need. That's what I need from another human being. And I hope you pursue that at Blue Oaks if you haven't already. You know, we recently launched grow groups that are following along with the grow series each week. And if you're interested in joining a grow group, I would say go to blueoakschurch.org, click on the latest news button and scroll down to small groups and you'll get the information you need. All right, now let's rejoin Lisa as we discover more about the personal nature of God.
1: So one of our ministries at Blue Oaks is to visit senior centers and hold chapel services. On one of my weekly visits, a woman by the name of Margaret came early because she wanted to talk to me before everyone got there. I put everything down because it was unusual and it seemed important. I wanted to give her my full attention. She said, I wanted to tell you in person that Merritt died. Merritt was her husband. She said, and I quote, You've been so good to us, you know our names. I I was stunned and I stood there thinking, but I don't know much else. How could that make such a difference? I I don't know why, I just know that it does. Some years back, I worked for a startup company and the founder sold the business to an international company and the mom and pop business quickly became part of the corporate world. By that time I was in, in charge of a department and of course, I knew the name of the new CEO, but he hadn't been formally, we hadn't been formally introduced. So one day he comes walking down the aisle in my department. I go up to him, extend my hand and say, you know, hi, John, my name's Lisa Harrington. And he laughed and he said, yeah, Lisa, I know who you are. Now, I don't know if that was good or bad, but he knew me. And I don't know about you, but when someone knows or remembers my name, especially someone I like or who's significant, it feels good and it just feels good that pales in comparison to how well God knows you. I mean, If he knows your name and everything else about you down to the tiniest detail, down to the number of hairs on your head, then the God who created the world and everything in it shows himself as a heavenly father who's personally and intimately interested in you and all that's going on in your life. No matter what's going on in your life, God sees you. He knows everything, the good, the bad, and everything in between. There's not a single thing Not one thing that escapes his attention. In her moment of great need, Elroy, the God who sees, saw Hagar in her distress. He saw her, he loved her, and he cared about her broken heart. God promises that he'll never leave or forsake us. Elroy, the God who sees, he sees you, he sees me. Intimacy with God can bring peace to our innermost being, The weight from our heavy burdens is eased like only it can be in the presence of God. It's not that our circumstances change, it's that we can find comfort and strength in him. Elroy, you know, this God who sees you and values you, he knows what's in your heart, the absolute truth about everything. Scary, huh? I mean, nothing's hidden from him. And guess what? He loves you anyway. I mean, he even loves me. Maybe you can remember a time when you felt invisible or unknown. Or maybe you're feeling invisible and unknown right now. I want you to hear me clearly. You have not escaped God's notice. You've not escaped God's notice. He sees you and he'll meet you right where you are. And I don't know where that is. I don't know where you are with God, how close or far away that he feels. But I do know this. It doesn't matter what you've done or even what you haven't done. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you could do to make him love you any less. Uh, The writer of scripture said this in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He'll not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber indeed. He who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God isn't some distant help, he's near and he wants to be involved in your daily life. Nothing surprises him, and he doesn't miss a single detail ever, I mean, not ever. You know how when five people witness the same car accident and the police get each of their statements, all five are a little different, and sometimes even a lot different? Well, God's account of the accident would include every detail from multiple angles with 100% accuracy. I mean, he doesn't miss anything. Not a single thing escapes his notice. You know, you might say, well, this is all fine and good, uh, but God sure doesn't see me, and I don't feel close to him at all. You don't get it. You don't understand, Lisa. You know, Maybe you feel abandoned and forgotten. I bet the Israelites felt abandoned and forgotten, too. Uh, you know, They were held captive for more than 400 years. They were crying out to God for more than 400 years. In Exodus chapter 3, God talks to Moses in the burning bush. He says, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. And in verse 10, God says to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You know, in these verses, God tells Moses that he hears and sees. And it's an amazing intimacy that the Israelites didn't immediately see, you know, as they slogged through the mud and clay serving Pharaoh. And yet God was there. He heard them and saw them. You know, God's personal, even in our darkness. And while that may be hard to accept, and I get it, I do, I, I understand that. I, I've lived in this space before. Um, and I hope that a reminder of it brings you hope. I had a retired pastor friend years ago, and he taught me a method of praying that remains with me to this day, although I'm not sure I'll ever be as faithful or good at it as he was. But time he drove past someone's house that he knew, he would pray for them. And I had the privilege of being on his driving path for years because he lived by me. Every once in a while he'd call me before he left home or as he passed by and he'd say, Lisa, this is Bill Copham. I'm getting ready to go to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords on your behalf. Is there anything specific you'd like for me to pray? And that still makes me feel special. I mean, I always felt so loved. Bill saw me. He knew me. He knew who I was. and He loved me anyway. At the time, I was struggling. You know, I'd been in and out of church for years. I was inconsistent about everything. I believed in God, but just couldn't get all the pieces to connect. I still saw God through the filter I'd had as a child. It took a lot of years for my heart to change and for my relationship with Jesus to become personal. It took a long time for me to accept that God saw me. He knew everything about me, and he still loved me. I remember giving my life to Christ in the early hours of a Sunday morning. I couldn't wait to get to church so I could tell Bill. As soon as I spotted him, I made a beeline toward him. You know, Bill, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. And tears filled his eyes and he said, I feel like Simeon seeing the baby Jesus. I always knew this day would come. I just didn't know if I'd be around to see it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait for a long time. But God sees you. He hears you. He knows you better than anyone, and he loves you. I don't want you to give up. God doesn't want you to give up. All right, so what do you do when your life has been turned upside down, you're hungry, and all you have is $10? You know What do you do? Where do you go? Taco Bell. Did you say Taco Bell? I mean, first, you're not Willie Ames, and second, $10 doesn't go as far as it used to. You'd need at least 12 Taco Bell. no. Where do you go when you're distraught, everything's falling apart, you're hungry, and all you have is $10? You go to the God who sees you in your hopeless despair and hears you when you call on him. You, know, you take your broken and messed up life and you fall before the Lord and Savior who showed his love for you and for me by dying for us. He died for us so that we, you and me, so that we could see God the Father who sees us, so that we could see God the Father who sees us. I mean, he knows your name, where you've been, where you are, where you're going. He knows your past, present, and future. I mean, he sees you right where you are, and he hears the cry of your heart. Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? Insert your own name. Lisa, where have you come from and where are you going? You are the God who sees me. I've now seen the one who sees me. He hears you. He sees you. It's personal. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you for what the truth that we learn in it. God, you're the God who sees your Elroy. Thank you that you see us and that you know us. Uh, God, I just pray that we would hang on to that. Uh, and Lord, I, I especially wanna pray for anybody that's in a dark place. Uh, God, anybody that's unsure of your love for them or or where they stand with you, uh, Lord, you see them and you love them. And I just pray that you would that you would speak to their heart, that you would encourage their heart even right now. Uh, Lord, you love us all and you want us all to be in relationship with you. You died so that we could be reconciled to you. Elroy, you're the God who sees. I, I now see the one who sees me. Thank you so much, God. Amen.
0: Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10 and 11.15. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And We hope to see you on Sunday soon.